I can directly get access to my fans and the consumer and bypass the middleman, who cares if I have a deal anymore? So first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day-to-day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going going to talk about it. And if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry. Here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. All right, guys, in this episode of the podcast, I am super excited to uh, actually introduce a lot of you to John Ojaka, uh, reacquaint a lot of you with John Ojaka. And some of you are like, dude, he's the guy who started it all. So you don't have to introduce him to us at all. John Ojaka with Music Marketing Manifesto. Let me tell you a quick story. So about five years ago, I had decided that I wanted to try to help as many people as I could. So I started going online and Googling how to get a record deal, how to get a publishing deal. And all these videos that kept showing up were of people uh, who had never really launched anyone in the digital age. They were people that weren't even in the business anymore. And then all of a sudden, this guy, John Ojaka, comes up. And it turns out that not only had he had success as an artist, but he was also teaching people how to take the things that he's learned and put it online. So I originally went, uh, got involved in my first squeeze page. I didn't even know that was what it was called at the time when I got involved with it and uh, watched some free videos, was impressed with what I saw, decided to buy his program. And then shortly after that, him and I connected and I said, listen, I said, here's what I'm doing. And it was John who kind of coached me into creating what you guys now know as the Music Industry Blueprint, the first online course that I did. So some of the things that he's been doing lately that have just been blowing me away have been around the Facebook advertising, about building funnels, about really helping you guys find your audience and then monetize your audience. A couple years ago, I think it was, he released his first Facebook program that I purchased uh, and was blown away, and now he's getting ready to update it. So I was excited when I could track him down and get him on the podcast to talk a little bit about that, what's been going on, some of the changes that he's seen happening in the music industry, and more importantly, how he's been able to stay up to date with everything that's, that's happened and where he sees that you guys can you know, effectively get in and start monetizing in this new digital world that we have. So, John, dude, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time out of your day to be on here. And uh, let's just chat. I mean, tell everybody what yeah. you've been up to lately and why it's so important that I, I guess we could say the internet won, you know, so everybody for the last five <laughs> sure. years that's been, you oh, this internet's just a fad. The internet has won. You saw it earlier than most that this whole thing was going to change. Let's talk a little bit. Let's give some history here. 
Yeah. So, so, cause I think that's a huge part of where we'll ultimately go with it is just kind of how I got into this. It, it, it ultimately has steered the course and led me to sort of where I am and how I formed all the opinions and attitudes and strategies that I kind of now embrace. But, um, so you mentioned I'm, I'm a musician. I still, still am a musician, got a show coming up uh, in, a, in a week or so. Um, but um, I once, you know, I once landed what at least the trade paper said was the largest new artist recording contract in history. That was with Interscope. Um, I, as as the story often goes, I was later dropped, uh, re-signed uh, to Universal, dropped again. I got a new a new deal with a Warner Brothers sub. They put out the record that was just a one-off. Uh, put a, a third record out with an independent. And while those initial advances were were pretty pretty decent, uh, you know, nothing lasts forever and. 10 years later, I don't know, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And the thing that sucked about about it all is I was always relying on other people. You know, I needed this manager. I needed my lawyer. I needed a booking agent. I needed I needed other people or I was dead in the water. And with the writing, at least at the time, it seemed to be on the wall. The writing seemed to be on the wall. There was nothing I could do to to uh, or or so it seemed at the time we're talking 2005 ish something like that um uh, it looked like man i you know this money's going to dry up one day i'm going to need to get a job and i did not want to <laughs> i did not want to get a job did not have the skills or the haircut for it um and so so i started playing around with the internet and again you know 2005 not that long ago but those those are ancient times in terms of the internet and you you know like most people i saw these courses out there you know buy this course and and i'll teach you how to make a million dollars in your underwear while you sleep and well one day i bought I, I bought one of these courses you know and and very skeptical like i'm sure everyone you know who buys our stuff is when they first come to it um but i stayed up all night i set up the strategy and it was a paid advertising based strategy this is before there even was facebook advertising it was google uh, advertising at the time and i was just selling an ebook nothing to do with music yet um and uh they said go to this affiliate site find something you think is cool and set up some ads for it and that's all i did i spent uh 10 bucks on ads i woke up and i sold a an ebook for 20 bucks. I was blown away. I was holy crap. This is, this is real. And I was convinced that where there was, uh, you know, one sale, there could be many, many more. So I, I got obsessed. I, I got, I got the bug and, and, and just, you know, went, went into that feverish learning phase, uh, that all of us have gone through and probably went through, you know, 500, a thousand, and I'm, and I'm not exaggerating, you know, books and courses and lectures and things like that. Just learned everything that I could about, about online marketing and initially built an online business that had nothing to do with music. It was, I was an e-commerce business. Um, it's sort of in, in a health niche and I made like 2 million bucks selling stuff on the internet. And what I realized after, after doing that and once kind of finances were back in order and I wasn't so stressed about my future is that, you know, a lot of this stuff I'm doing, I bet this would work on music. And so I started tinkering using myself as a guinea pig and Lo and behold, I could send out an email and I, you know, I'd wake up and there'd be 300 bucks in my, in my, uh, inbox. And, and I never had that feeling before, you know, I needed, I needed lots of money and people and, and all this stuff to pull anything off. And it was just kind of amazing to sit there in my house and press a few buttons and make some money. So, um, I, I, you know, I had a friend, he was going to put out an album and I said, you know, now we're talking like 2009, eight, something right. like that. Um, I, I said, uh, you know, why don't you let me do the marketing for this? We'll see what we can do. My, my marketing budget on this was a whopping $400 and we ended up setting the all time single day sales record at, at CD baby. Um, 
uh, he was on the Billboard charts, you know, um, did, recouped his record the first week, you know, all the cost of his record. And, and it was we were, we were really, really happy with it. And um, that kind of launched Music Marketing Manifesto. Now, te- technically, I put a, a little ebook out by the same name in like 2007. But it was really then in, in late 2009 that I after that success, that I went, wait, this is exciting. This is way more fun than, you know, what I was doing online. And it got me back reinvigorated uh, with uh, about the music industry and started helping artists and launched Music Marketing Manifesto. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Been doing it almost, yeah, coming on almost 10 years. Well, you said something earlier, too, as you said, you know, there was just so many people that were involved and you were at the mercy of a lot of folks. It's like yeah, you yeah. seem to realize that, OK, wait a minute, I can directly get access to my fans and the consumer and bypass the middleman, who cares if I have a deal anymore? You know, it's like you, you came from that model before where it's like, man, the only way you got on radio or television or tours was because you had to be in the system. And then all of a sudden when the distribution walls were broken and dropped and you could get direct to fan, uh, you, you found it. Now, what, what do you think it was? And, and I've never asked you this question, but what what kept you from getting dropped? What, I mean, why was it that you went from one record deal to the next record deal to the next record deal? I hear that a lot with artists that were involved at that time that, well, this label didn't happen or I got shelved and I moved to another label. What did you see was keeping you from staying with a label long term and how could that be fixed? Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple. I wasn't selling enough records. You know, the criteria um, especially back then, it's huge, you know. Um, you, well, it, it's, it's probably not that much different now, but I mean, even even well, in my story, it was sort of a funny one. So I got the big bidding war thing, and Jimmy Iovine, you know, was yeah. my A and R rep, which sounded great. I had the most powerful guy at the label as my A and R rep, and um, no, no, no disrespect to the guy. I was really happy to get the chance to work with him, but I had the busiest guy at the, at the label uh, as my A&R rep. And so there was a lot of confusion, a lot of sort of passing it from one A&R rep to another A&R rep. There was also a musical shift at the time. So I was kind of doing a Beck ish kind of, or I had that okay. kind of a sound, you right. know, sort of old school stuff with hip hoppy sort of beats behind it. Um, and this is 1999 when I got signed, uh, okay. uh, 2000 when yeah. the record came out, and that was when the active rock thing happened, and Corn and Limp Bizkit suddenly took over the whole uh, alternative charts, and they ended up moving me to pop and hot AC, which it was totally wrong for. Ooh. It went up against like Madonna, right. literally Madonna came out <laughs> the week I came out, and and it just was it just was nobody knew what was going on, and it was just a lot of confusion. It wasn't long after those mergers with Interscope. Um, but you know, everybody's got a story like that. I don't like to, I don't like to be that guy that says, Oh, you know, it's not the music. No, but what I want to share with people, and I think it's super important is that hasn't changed either. It's like back then you were getting monster advances, you know, so you had to sell records or people were switching jobs or it was nothing for them to shelf and stop working an artist that they gave a huge advance to, because that's back when we were selling double platinum, triple platinum on $20 CDs. You totally. know, not like right now, everybody's scrounging every stream and every download and everything to make a gold record, you know, or a platinum right. record. It's completely changed. What I always tell people is it's not hard to get a record deal. It's hard to keep it. And right, right. now it's like also, too, is I think it's important for people to understand and know that you got to witness firsthand what it was like to be ignored. But now right. you've also been able to experience firsthand what it means to put your own business in your own hands. 
and that right. you don't have to wait for permission anymore. It's almost like you had to wait for permission to say, okay, can I do this now? And they would be like, no, because I tell people, and please correct me if you feel that I'm wrong in any of this. When you're assigned to a label, you're an employee. And you can't right, put out right. music when you want, and you can't put out videos when you want, and you you can't do a lot of the things that you have the freedom to do as an independent artist. And what I find really interesting is right now some of the biggest stars in the world are publicly telling us that they cannot wait to be out of their major label deal in order right. to go independent. Right, right. Yeah, you certainly hear that a lot. I think everything you said is true. In my case, it was, I, you know, what I honestly, I never really felt like an employee. I felt like that soldier who was posted <laughs> on some distant outpost way in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, the phone hadn't rung for a month and no one, like the like the general had forgotten that you were even assigned there. You know, that was funny. more what my experience was like. Um, but, you know, the thing, the, 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 the light bulb kind of moment or whatever that I had in hindsight, of course, was just how much and, and I'm sure they would very you know the labels would very much argue against this because obviously they do have their business strategies but on a sort of uh, when we think of ourselves as the business as opposed to the label as the business then you the artist is the business there really there really was such a lack of a a traditional business model right. there. It was it was throw a bunch of money. It was it was record execs trying to jump on a trend, find something that aligned with what they thought was going to sell, throw a bunch of money at it, see if it's stuck. But no, you know, you're not going to in the real world businesses don't really run that way. You know, you find you find a market, you figure out what it wants, you spend money and you you focus on getting that ROI. And if the ROI isn't there, it ultimately, you know, you, you, you close up shop or you refine the business. And I guess to some extent, what I just said is at play with the major labels. But again, when when it doesn't work out, you're just cut loose, you're gone. Whereas when you're you, when you're the business, you continue looking for, you know, more affordable traffic or you move locations or, right. you know, you just keep on spinning those wheels until you ultimately get the return on the investment that you want. Um, I don't know. Well, um, I think I, it's I, great that you're able to shed some light on that because there's a lot of people out there that are teaching right now that are teaching what it takes to get a record deal that have never gotten anyone a record deal or they're teaching people how to get a publishing deal and they've never written a song or, or got a right, publishing right. deal. And I think what attracted me to you originally was the fact that you had done this. Uh, right. And also one of the things that was very interesting is that early on, you know, you were talking conversions and split testing before that was common. And I always right. felt I'm like, man, I, I always joke and you and I've talked about this before that I called you the professor, you know, it was like, you spoke very well, you had all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't know that people are going to get him. And now what you're talking about, and all of us are talking about, you were talking about it two years ago, three years right, ago. Right. Now it's common knowledge. Now people understand what Facebook ads are and running a, a landing page and doing all this stuff. So it's like, once again, you were kind of ahead of the time. But I think with what I've been well, seeing lately is that because you've been ahead of the time means that you've been able to practice these tactics and strategies earlier right. than people like myself. You know, I went this year and got certified as a Facebook marketer, but you were doing this even before I considered to go get certified. So it's like you have a couple years under your belt where this is just now coming to the forefront. Now we're like, Oh yeah, we have to do this and we need to do Facebook ads and we need to do this. And you're like, yeah, I've been telling you guys that for the last two years, uh, 
Where, oh, where on, is it? That- yeah, I promote. I promote. <laughs> I ran my first Facebook ad to promote music ten years ago. It was two thousand and nine. Um, on that very first campaign, I used Facebook. That was that four hundred bucks that I spent on yep. that that yep. best selling or single day sales record over at CD Wave. That was all on Facebook. That's where I spent one hundred percent of the the budget. How did you at that point, you know, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on back then because you've got some really yeah, cool yeah. stuff you're no, doing totally, now, but totally. how did you, how did you know? You know what I mean? It's like we were using Facebook to wish people happy birthday and shit and you're off selling, you know, you're using $400 to go have the single biggest selling day, which I mean, what made you realize where, where did that come from? You know, it's well, like. I don't you? know how well my answer. I ha- I have a good story lined up along those lines, and I don't know how well it's going to answer your question, but it's certainly what pops into my head when you ask me that. So, so year, years before all this, when I was the uh, an up and coming artist, had no record deal yet. Um, I you know I lived in Hollywood. I was twenty four, and I was I was I ended up getting. I came to Los Angeles, kind of realizing this is a town of of uh, impressions. You know. You, it, it, Nobody cared about you if you were the singer songwriter singer songwriter guy who played open mics. Everybody they wanted to hitch their uh, wagon to your train if you looked like you were going somewhere, kind of a thing. So I, I, you know, I didn't plan it out so much as I, I got lucky, saw some opportunities, and and then jumped on them because I saw a sort of pattern here. But I, I got a gig as a club promoter, so I always I was in a position to build up that Rolodex. You know, this is before email, really. I, I think email existed, but it was still you know rare Weird, and right, yeah. right. Um, so, so, um, I was in a uh, position to be, I was out five, six nights a week, shaking a lot of hands and everywhere I went, I'd say, Hey, give me your phone number. I'll call you when I, when I've got a show coming up. And, uh, I, I earned a lot of favors. And when it was finally time to showcase for the industry and I didn't perform a lot, I didn't, I didn't spend the, those favors, uh, for, it took me about two years to get from, I just moved to Los Angeles until I ultimately got that record deal. But when I had, the label interest and it was time to pull the trigger on, on all this goodwill. I had about a thousand phone numbers in my phone book and I would sit there for four days and I would call every single person whenever I had a show and oh, wow. start at 10, 10 in the morning and I would stop at six o'clock at night and I had a script, um, you know, and it was basically just, Hey, I'm playing a show. And I, because I was the club promoter, I didn't just, I didn't just get a gig or ask for a gig. I took the night and I'd put bands that I wanted on the same bill that I thought complemented the show and could bring a few people. Um, and I put myself right in the ideal spot. And I would call every single person that I knew. And it didn't matter if I knew them well or not. Just any single, every person. I met them once at a bar. They gave me their phone number. I'd call them. Hey, is John, we met it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm playing a show. I just wanted to invite you. I've got a guest list. Love to put you on it. But I do need you to let me know. You know, no fibbing or anything. But certainly the impression was probably not that it was an unlimited guest list. Right. Um, but, it, but it was. And I put sometimes 450 people on the guest list. And 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 it would be packed when I finally got that big showcase, when the record labels were finally coming. I mean, there was a line around the block. I mean, record label execs in some cases couldn't get into the show. It was it was crazy. <laughs> And it, but, but, and the reason I'm telling the story is because the principles to that process are exactly the same thing as I'm doing now. And I, and I don't think, to be honest, I'd love to take credit, just having vision or something. I just, I saw the pattern after the fact, but it's all we do now. You know, it's go build an audience, get right. those email addresses right. and send out those email addresses and drive people to whatever thing it is that you ultimately want them to care about. And, and it's just now we can do it with the press of a button instead of spending four days calling calling people. Um, but I think that was that was how it all kind of ultimately 
aligned in my brain was just, okay, wait, this is the same thing I was doing back in the day. I'm just using email and advertising to get that the equivalent of that phone message in front of people instead of leaving messages on voicemails I'm I'm running Facebook ads and sending out emails if that makes sense yeah well and and I appreciate the fact that you figured it out because as I've told people before it's like I was when I first started my business I thought I was brilliant because I was doing two live calls a week and then I was getting exhausted and I was doing all this stuff and you and I got on the phone the first time we ever talked and you're like why don't you do modules and I'm like what are modules and you're like you know the course you bought of mine? I go, yeah. He goes, those are modules. And I'm like, okay, why does this guy have aha moments way before? He, I mean, the, the amount of time that you put back into my life, the marriage that you saved by just going, dude, why don't you do <laughs> modules? Awesome. You know, I'm like, and I'm right. the first one to admit when I don't know something. So I've been super pumped and super excited. I've been running uh, Facebook ads, uh, for artists, uh, helping, you know, grow their, their video views and helping really, kind of get people to listen to music longer and stuff through the whole video stuff that I've been doing. And then I heard you recently talk about running conversion ads and I don't run conversion ads a lot. I've almost been scared of them, but you did this thing with this whole dynamic creative that made it sound so simple. And the good news is, is you've created something that we can share with everybody, but there are so many different ways to skin the cat when it comes to Facebook ads. Talk a little totally. bit about this dynamic creative and then let's tell people where they can go learn about it because you've got your your new course coming out here real soon. And by the time people are listening to this, it's probably already out. But right. tell us about dynamic creative and why that's so important and how I don't I I hate to use the word dummy proof. Right, but right. For me, I'm the dummy and it was Rick proof. It was dummy proof. When I looked at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. Yeah, no, it is. It is really um, it has been great. It's been great for I've seen huge upticks with my members and my programs and I've been using it on my clients. I've been taking on a lot more clients than I have in the past. So it's been it's been a, a cool year in that sense. And I've been working on a lot more campaigns and these new tools that Facebook just keeps coming out with have been have been awesome. Now, as you said, there's a ton you can do with Facebook ads. There's so many different strategies. You know, all all Facebook ads are is an opportunity to pay for traffic so you don't have to go out and earn it the hard way. You can go out and play shows and shake hands and tell people to go to your website. That's one way of right. driving traffic or, or you can pay a few cents and get somebody to click on over. Um, and you can do that in a million ways. You can use, you use ads to get eyes on videos and use those videos to compel people. You can, you know, get, promote your page and then get the, use your organic content to, to reach people. Or you can, um, where, where, where my focus is, is as you said, on conversion ads. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a fundamentals guy at my, at my core. I'm really a cop copywriter. You know, I see this as all pretty simple to make money in any space. Um, you just need to find an audience that gives a crap about your right. message and what it is you're doing. And ads are, uh, and building a mailing list is a great way to control and own that audience. That's the thing that I was missing from all of those years on the labels is I had no audience. When I was done with all that and I finally started over, this is so depressing. Hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on marketing, millions of dollars spent on me. I had a mailing list of 60 people. You know, it's, 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 it was gross. Um, I had not, I had nothing to show for all of that. Um, and, and when you build a mailing list, no one can take that away from you. And, and having a social media following is great, important and super valuable, but 
someone can take that away from you. You know, algorithms change, face, um, uh, social media platforms fall out of favor. So I really am a big fan of that mailing list. Um, so I drive ads to uh, to what's called a squeeze page, as you, as you referenced. I yeah. think, does everybody know what that is in this day and age? I don't, they I don't do. know. They do. A landing yeah. page, squeeze page, it's where to get your email address. Gotcha. So, so somebody can sign up for some free music, yeah. you get their mailing list, and then you can take over whatever marketing strategy you've got in place can take over and you can you can start a relationship with those folks via email. Now, um, there, again, are a lot of ways to go about that. But there's this relatively new uh, feature in Facebook called Dynamic Creative, which is just super, super helpful, makes it really easy. doesn't matter if you're good at writing copy. It uh, doesn't matter if you have any experience because the numbers ultimately drive the campaign. You don't, you just do your best basically, and then look at the numbers and then try to beat those numbers until ultimately those numbers are where you need them to be. Um, so again, a lot of technical concepts perhaps here and interrupt me wherever I just. Well, I think what's it going to be even easier is to send them to where they can yeah. see it for themselves because I watched totally. the video this morning that you sent me and you set up these campaigns in less than 10 minutes and it really made sense at that point for me because what's interesting is that Facebook is moving so fast, people. I don't think that you understand this, that even six months ago when I was getting certified with retargeting with Blitzmetrics, there were certain types of ads you couldn't run. You know, yeah. now they've got through play. Now you can, you know, they're so every week, they're, they're learning more and they're trying to make it easier. And that's why I say it's super important. You know, I, I listen and people know this. I've shared this with them before the perpetual traffic podcast and I'll hear them talking about dynamic creative, but I, I haven't explored it yet because it sounded very complicated to me. And when you showed it in your example and explained it, it was super simple. So what we'll do is uh, tell them where they can get access to that. I'll make sure there's a copy of it in the show notes uh, as cool. well. Yeah, we'll take the video Rick's talking about. We'll put it at musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash Rick Barker. So again, musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash Rick Barker. You can find the video there. So anything that kind of goes over your head or you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, you can watch it there. And and like I said, I, I crammed everything into the whole campaign setup and everything, even the management part of it, even the refinement part, everything is shown in less than 10 minutes. But in a nutshell, traditionally, uh, or in a nutshell, th this is how it works. So traditionally, when you set up an ad, you've got all these different variables and you really need to kind of split test them amongst one another. And it can it can turn into a bit of a spaghetti mess. And you really need to know what you're doing when it comes to copywriting. But this new feature, Dynamic Creative, what it allows you to do is go and set up. So uh, when you're setting up your ad, instead of adding your ad text and your image and your uh, headline and your link description and all those variables, it gives you the opportunity to add up to five text sections or uh, five headlines or five link descriptions or five call to action buttons. You can upload, I think it's up to 10 images. I usually stick with about five as well. And then you run that ad to whatever your target audience is. And then Facebook is going to take all of those different creative elements and rotate them in random combinations until it can figure out which one is performing best. So what this means is that rather than needing to go and spend all that money running right. maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine campaigns testing different uh, uh, 
uh, ad copy, you can test it all at once. And, you know, $20 later, you've got a leader, you've got a winning line of copy. And it's going to there. Every element will affect things. But it's really that text section, that main text section of your ad and the image that is going to probably ultimately impact your success with your ads more than anything else. So once we've kind of stumbled on a, a winning combination, you know, it might be that you're paying something outrageous, like $10 a subscriber. Well, that's too much. That means you probably need to go and do another round of testing. Right. But but it means that you just, you, with this approach, you just don't need to overthink the copy because people kind of get crippled there. They're, I'm not a writer. I don't know what to do. And in the video, I show you a few simple tricks where you can kind of borrow some lines that maybe journalists use. I love that, use too. I love to describe. that. Thanks. Yep. Yeah, it's really easy. You plug it, you do your best, you target uh, a few audiences. There's this new feature, at least it rolled out in my, I think they've been rolling it out slowly since January, but it only hit my account recently, which is campaign budgeting. This is something that in the past we couldn't do. We'd have to set up a, a unique ad set for each one of our target audiences. And even if our budget was just say 10 bucks a day with every ad set, let's say you just want to target three different artists, you're spending 30, 30 bucks a day. That can get expensive really right. quick. Uh, but now they've got campaign budgeting. So you spend you spend you set your budget on the campaign level and it'll it'll divvy it up amongst those three campaigns and favor the one that's that's doing best. And again, it's a lot to explain. But why all of this is important is because when you're going after conversions, the way Facebook algorithm uh, Facebook's algorithm works uh, is that it needs a certain number, a certain amount of actions per day to hone in on your ideal audience. If you're targeting, let's say, fans of Bob Dylan uh, and you select Bob Dylan, it's not just gonna go after Bob Dylan. Based on your objective, if it's conversions, say, uh, it's going to look at all those accounts that are taking that action you wanna, want them to take, ultimately signing up to your mailing list, um, and it's going to look for patterns in those accounts and it's going to be able to see all kinds of variables that we can't see. And it's going to behind the scenes, it's going to segment that Bob Dylan audience into that one percent uh, of that audience that's most likely to take the action you ultimately want them to take. But if you don't get at least, say, five uh, subscribers per day, then Facebook can't figure out, um, sure. you know, who that audience is. It doesn't get enough data for its algorithm to work uh, and the whole campaign flops. So th that's why uh, until a few months ago, advertising, at least for me, was really expensive because I'd have to test all these different audiences because uh, it's an important part of the process. But with the new campaign budgeting, you don't you, you can throw that small budget of just, say, 10 bucks a day uh, uh, at multiple different ad sets and you'll still get your five subscribers. And I think Facebook that was smart on Facebook's part because what happens is if you're spending all this money and you're not seeing any returns, you're going to stop spending money. So if they can help yeah, you yeah. have success and that's why there's a lot of things. And John even mentions this in his video that I've been telling people as well. Don't try to outthink Facebook. Just leave certain right. things blank. They'll go find the right people for you. Uh, it could get expensive if you try breaking it down and making it super, super simple. Uh, they've done that for us and I, and I, I respect them for that. I'm excited about it. Some of you, uh, your brains are probably fried right now, but here's the cool yeah, part. Mine's a little fried. You can <laughs> that either was, go, that was too much technical yeah, information. You can either go learn this stuff yourself and it may take a little time or you can spend $2,500 a month just to have someone do this for you on top of having to pay another probably $2,500 a month to run ads for you. That option is always available to all of you. But what's great is that John, who is one of you, who is one of us, I say us because he's also 
a, a marketer like I am and he's a teacher, but he's also an artist like you has gone and figured this out and he's willing to share this information with us. Do yourself a favor, go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash Rick Barker. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Grab that free video, get yourself uh, in line uh, to see and be able to know when his new product is released, which is going to be very soon. Uh, just so you guys know, uh, his last Facebook program, I purchased this new Facebook program. I will also purchase. And some of you are like, why are you purchasing it? You also got, I don't know what John knows. And you can't get a degree at a university from one professor and one book. Sometimes sure. you need to go understand what other people are doing. And trust me, knowing him, it's going to be under 200 bucks. I, I charge more than that for an hour of my time. It would take me hours to figure out what he already knows. So that's why I do this. And I highly recommend you guys do the same thing, man. I know the time is, uh, it's different now. You're down in New Zealand. So I appreciate you uh, getting up early with me this morning and, uh, and recording this. I know it's going to help a ton of people. And is there anything you want to say before we jump out of here? Um, I don't know. You know, I guess I'd probably just leave with some some uh, a reminder, I suppose, that, you know, th this stuff is overwhelming because, well, there are a lot of different people focused on a lot of different aspects of the business, you know, where where the with each one of these products, with each one of these solutions, you know, there's a different strategy and you start they start coming at you from all directions and it's easy to get overwhelmed and and think, you know, either either you're doing the wrong thing or none of it works or everybody's just trying to make a buck off you or, or, or whatever your particular concern is. But it, it isn't the fundamentals are pretty simple and they haven't changed for me in a lot of years. And if you start studying marketing, you'll see that they really haven't changed in you know hundreds of years. Um, but all, all to succeed as an artist, all you really need to do is have good music. Uh, and then and be willing to communicate in this in this modern world. You know, that's part of the job description. You're not just an artist. You're, you're a channel. Um, and we're trying to gain the attention of the public and, and get them to tune into our with air quotes, their channel. Um, but aside from that, it's just about finding an audience that that gives a damn about what it is that you have to say and the music that you're making. And then once you do that, once you build a rapport and a relationship with those people, and there's no better way to do that, in my opinion, than with email, although social media is also a fantastic uh, tool uh, in, in our, in our arsenal as well. But once you do that, once you've got that relationship, then you've earned the right to monetize that relationship with the occasional promotion. You know, if you run a few promotions each year, you can't, you can, if you do it right, you can make a tremendous amount of money off of a relatively uh, small crowd, so long as they are actually paying attention and, uh, you know, they like what you, they like the music you're making and what you have to say. So it's fundamentally, that's all you're doing. Find an audience that cares about what you're doing and sell them some stuff from time to time, but don't abuse the relationship and you'll succeed. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you. Those yeah. of you that, you know, have enjoyed listening to John, he also has his podcast. I'll make sure that that link is available for you as well. If this is your first time joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. If you uh, haven't had a chance yet, uh, head on over to my website, rickbarker.com, and you can grab a free copy of the book while you're there. You can take the artist assessment. It's kind of hard to know where you want to go if you don't know where you're starting. So I've got that in place for you. And if you've enjoyed this uh, and you think someone could benefit from it, I always appreciate a share. It means the world to me. So thank you guys again. Thank you, John. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Ciao. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.